listening to Episcopal Youth Ministry in ATL. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Episcopal Youth Ministry in ATL. My name is Matt. I'm here with Wallace and we have two special guests. What? <laughs> Wallace is apparently very excited for them. <laughs> we are excited. Uh, do you all want to go ahead and introduce yourselves, say who you are, what you do, and something cool about you. What kind of toothpaste do you use? Uh, hi, my name is Bill Campbell. I'm the executive director of Forma, and I am the acting program director at Episcopal Church Foundation. Um, and I use whatever toothpaste is in my bathroom. Okay. <laughs> I'm not in charge of those decisions. Oh. <laughs> at all. Sensitive. <laughs> yeah. And I'm Melissa Rao. I'm the senior, senior program director for leadership from Episcopal Church Foundation. And I'm happy to be here. And gosh, toothpaste. I guess I I get whatever's on sale. Yeah. What's the crest white? You know the red yeah, tube yeah, yeah, yeah. With the gold. I think that might be my favorite. For crest a while, Sensodyne. Yeah, for yeah. a while they had crest whitening, but vanilla flavored. Ooh. Ew. It was very exotic. I what? think it was. <laughs> It was before its time. I really miss. Do you remember like when you had the tube that had the star shape on the end and everything had sparkles in it? Mm, yeah. That was really like, you can't do that anymore. Well, because basically they found out they were just dumping sugar in your toothpaste, right? And so like, have you noticed that all of these toothpastes, they used to be like you only bought toothpaste if it said ADA accepted on it. None of the toothpastes have that anymore because they all have crap in it you're not supposed to be using on your teeth. Wow. So, like, if you find ADA toothpaste, like, even your dentist gives you a little bit of toothpaste when you go and visit, mm-hmm. and it's ADA, like, it's got, it's just, like, old toothpaste. It's, like, mm-hmm. old school toothpaste. It's old toothpaste. It'll like, they literally have aged recycled it. toothpaste. I like my toothpaste <laughs> to be at least, like, 18 years aged in okay. barrels. It's a fine year. <laughs> so, we've apparently turned into a toothpaste podcast now. Oh. So the East, first of its East kind. of the producers like, guys, you're killing me. Stop. This is not compelling youth ministry focus, podcasting. Where can you find toothpaste? To but, you know, ministry? teeth health is oh, important, okay. you know. So I just think we need to – I just – I want you to yeah. know that we take this seriously. So to get back on track, we're talking about youth ministry, specifically the former conference coming up. Um, for people who might not know, tell us what the organizations you all work with are and how they interact with each other. Ooh. So, well, the main our main partner um, is uh, the Episcopal Church Foundation. So, Forma and the Episcopal Church Foundation, um, <laughs> Forma and the Episcopal Church Foundation have entered into a strategic alliance where um, I'm part of the ECF staff on the leadership development team, and I also am the executive director of Forma. Um, so, I am uh, part of the team working uh, with Melissa. Uh, and then Donald Romanek, who's the head of Episcopal Church Foundation. And then I'm also still responsive and work for the Forma Board, and in particular, the Forma Board President. Yeah? Yeah. I think you just said that really great. That was a good one. That was great. I did, that was other a... partnerships? I mean, are there other partnerships, strategic partnerships or alliances? Sure. Them? Well, historically, we were, we were most closely associated with the Center for the Ministry of Teaching at Virginia Theological Seminary. Um, and when back in the days of NASED, the... We were known as NASED, which was the National Association of Episcopal Christian Educators. Um, we were uh, a group of mostly children's ministers who were focused on uh, improving children's ministry for one another through relationships and mentoring um, and coming together in an annual conference to talk about the issues that were facing them 23 years ago. 
Um, and then we developed a, a partnership with the Center for the Ministry of Teaching over time in Virginia Theological Seminary. And now that has expanded um, to where we have a partnership at almost every single Episcopal seminary in the church. Um, we're in close relationship with um, the seminaries. Uh, we have partnerships with other conferencing organizations and networking organizations like SEEP, the Consortium for Episcopal um, Endowed Parishes, Endowed Episcopal Parishes. Um, and then uh, we have a few other partnerships um, with some publishing companies, Forward Movement and Church Publishing in particular. Partnerships increase capacity. Um, Amen. So uh, that's the important thing. Uh, we're a network. Our people are youth ministers, children's ministers, adult formation experts, priests, deacons, bishops. Um, and uh, what we can offer our, our membership is only as good as the partnerships that mm -hmm. we can maintain. Mm -hmm. so. Partnerships is also an opportunity for us to not duplicate one another's efforts. Right. So when we're in constant collaboration and partnership with one another, we can make sure that what we're doing is succinct and strategic. I think, at least for me, the name Forma has been thrown around a lot like in recent years. Forma. Um, yeah. The <laughs> network for Christian formation. See, it's being thrown around the room right now. Um, Forma. And for a while, it was just, I, I knew it as, oh, it's that website that I can go see where mm. the available jobs yeah. are. Right. But I feel like in the past few years, it's really gotten more out there and more known and more on the lips of youth leaders and church workers. Um, and so what is it that y'all can offer or what is it that y'all offer kind of the youth leader working in the church or the children's minister working in the church? Sure. Well, I mean, the feedback that we that we've gotten and received over the past few years is, you know, people feel alone. Mm. People feel like they're working in a silo. They're working in a vacuum. Um, and oftentimes, not to go negative about this, but like oftentimes people feel like they're not moving the mark. And one of the things that Forma does is that we get to shine a big, bright light into the church and remind people that you're not alone. Um, that there are peers, that there are colleagues that are doing this work, that are walking this road with you. Um, and then through our annual gathering, our annual conference, um, we also get a chance to remind people that, you know, this is an exciting career that we're in. This is an exciting ministry that we're in. It's an exciting vocation that we're in. Um, and that Jesus is at the, is at the center of it. Um, and so a lot of people, I mean, <laughs> I can't tell you, there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't have some conversation with like, oh, Forma, isn't that like y'all are like a Facebook group? And um, <laughs> yes, we have a very active Facebook group. We also have a very active listserv uh, that's available to our members. Um, but it's it, we are the sort of place where we can be a clearinghouse for tips and techniques and curriculum ideas and resource ideas. That is true. We are a clearinghouse for that. But we're also a place where you can find your next you can find your next job. You can find a way to actually make more money doing this work. You can find a way to go from volunteer to part-time to full-time to paid, all of those things. Um, we're a resource for people to think about their vocation um, and where is God calling them to this work. How do you think Forma and ECF uh, can combine their power or combine their powers now? Uh, to not only serve, I think, the vocation of those who who are working, our fellow Episcopalians, um, and then we can even extend that to, you know, other people who aren't Episcopalians. By ECF coming alongside FORMA, it's giving FORMA um, a greater platform and the ability to further its mission in new and exciting ways. 
I think uh, this partnership, I, I've had a blast. I mean, we, we made this formal partnership when July 1 was the start, and I feel blessed to get to do this work with Bill. Uh, one of ECF's core values is discipleship. What I'm in charge of is, is talking about the conversation of leadership and what leadership and equipping leaders in the Episcopal Church might look like. And I had this epiphany, it's difficult to talk about leadership unless you're talking about discipleship. And sadly, that word is not really well understood in the church. And that means we have a crisis in our church, which means we have a crisis of leadership. And so we want to make sure that we can partner together. Forma are the people who are on the ground doing this vital work. And I think it's time that we reimagine the ways we do that because honestly, the, pro the, the product or the fruit of our efforts over the last few decades haven't been awesome. If they were, I don't know that we would be in the position that we are in today. You know, I'm just going to say it, decline. <laughs> we're a declining mm -hmm. church. And I don't know that that discipleship, it's because discipleship hasn't really been much of a thing. And I know the form of folk, especially the young millennials um, and um, Gen Xers want to push the conversation further because we recognize fully that we have a problem. Right. I mean, with, with our powers combined, um, one of the things that we're, that we're focused on um, is uh, Captain Planet one and two, um, you know, it, we we have we have all of these like one off, I, you know, they're in in the movie Fight Club uh, it refers to like single serving friends, right? And so like we have all these like one off single serving institutions of the church that that that, that got created at a time when the church was 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 just like flourishing and healthy, and and they they do this great work. And we're at a time now where a lot of us are starting to have the same conversation, which is how do we form disciples of Jesus Christ? And, you know, and it's, it's, it's an evangelism conversation. It's a mission conversation. It's a formation conversation. It's a finance conversation. It's a communications conversation. And what Forma and ECF are doing is we're leading the way. We're leading by example. It's one of the, it's one of the values of Forma is to lead by example. And we're leading by example by showing the, the church and the world how a partnership can come together for two institutions who are really focused on lay ministry in the church and forming disciples for Jesus Christ. Now, ECF does that differently than Forma does that. ECF does that by equipping churches with financial resources and with capital campaign resources and for vestry resources and for lay ministry-focused resources. And Forma does that by helping youth ministers and children's ministers and uh, adult educators and anyone who's involved in Christian formation doing their work better, faster, easier, uh, and more with a little bit more of the joy of the Lord in it. Mm. Um, and we're coming together to look at a holistic view of what are the issues with church, little c, capital C, what are the issues with church, and how can we solve them? Because I think at core, one of the problems we have with little church, with church, little c or big C, is not enough people are in love with Jesus Christ. Mm. So the end of the day, what we're trying to do is get people to fall in love with Jesus Christ and then share that love. Mm -hmm. And Bishop Curry is doing quite well talking <laughs> about that. So <laughs> yeah. it's interesting you bring that up because I've never thought about that. Like with national happening, we're doing the same thing in the sense of like we're having to ask a lot of hard questions of are we operating at the best 
that we can for the job we want to do. So do we, we, you know, when, when people come to a conference, do they need to, like, what do they need to learn? Um, and it goes back to what you said about equipping leaders and discipleship. And I think that's tough conversations because immediately it goes to, well, what have I done wrong? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I mean, and this is kind of going off on a random tangent, but as far as like youth ministry, I think there's this inclination of like, well, the past generation did this wrong and here's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. Right. Yes. When I think we need to start building a, well, what are we doing today? Right. Um, well, we need to be talking about failure in ministry a lot more. We, mm-hmm. we, we, uh, we all like kind of, it's like when you point out the log in my eye and, or the splinter in my eye nor the log in yours, we, we have a tendency to kind of point our finger at failure. And as long as it's not pointing a finger at our failure, yeah. um, I've been at the, so <laughs> because of the work that I do as the executive director for my, I have to go to almost every conference in the Episcopal church and we could have a whole com- conversation about all the conferences that the Episcopal Church has. Um, but the most interesting conversations that I'm engaged in, in in the workshops and the plenaries that I see are the ones that are actually focused on failure and what the, what the creation comes out of it, right? And so um, we we need to be talking about we need to be having a conversation with people involved in, in ministry about the shame they feel around their failure and where we can move forward from that. Because I watch people get depressed and get down and beat themselves up about it um, to the point where oftentimes they freeze up and they want out. They want out. They feel stuck. And what we need to do is remind people that like Jesus doesn't care about that. Jesus cares about you. And Jesus cares about the people that are in your network and in your web of influence. Um, and we need to get you back out there. And that's like one of the things that I, I often think of Forma as like a field hospital. Hmm. You know, you walk through, you walk into the doors of a Forma conference and we're there to like check in, pat you up and get you back out there. Right. You know, we got to get you back out. Uh, and, uh, you know, Victoria Hop has, is doing all this great work around mountaintop experiences. Happening is a great mountaintop experience. Um, those are also those opportunities to give people a little bit more fire to get back out there. Mm. The question is, is like, and this is something we just spent almost an hour talking with Bishop Wright about is like, well, let's, let's really focus on the get back out there part. Um, you know, how do we, okay. So we, you know, you've gathered 450 people, uh, you got, we're hoping to gather a lot more than that in the future. So what, you know, like what now, uh, what are you going to do now? And so, those are the questions that like keep me up at night. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, Forma 2019 um, because I think it also ties into the idea of discipleship. So Forma 2019 is going to be in warm and beautiful Indianapolis, Indiana, January 2019. Is Peyton Manning going to be there? Uh, I hope not. Um, <laughs> Forma Conference 2019. It's formed to proclaim conversations around liturgy and evangelism. Um, and what we're doing is, uh, I, so I was at a conversation, um, at an academic focused conversation at Swanee, um, looking at re- revision, prayer book revision, um, and, and, and not so much like, should we revise a prayer book? Because a group of people meeting at Swanee isn't going to be the way that gets decided. Um, but more it was like, okay, if general convention and the, and the people of the church decide to revise a prayer book, how is that going to happen? Um, and, uh, I was invited to be there to talk, to help think through formation and what do we, how, do, how do the people who actually do like confirmation, right? The confirmation is a great example. There's a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about confirmation. 
What are we going to do about confirmation, right? What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? And my point to these people was like, you're you're making these decisions about what we should do with confirmation, but you've never asked the person who actually like teaches the confirmation class what they think we should be doing with confirmation. And so that was my point there was just to constantly be the grumpy old man in the room. And um, the in that moment, I realized, though, that we need to be having – it's time for another lay – person's conversation around liturgy it's time to talk about what is what are we doing with liturgy um and then the conversation came to us as well and this was something that juan oliver and i talked about which is like why aren't we also going to talk about evangelism and how liturgy and evangelism are tied together specifically in the episcopal church there is something about the Episcopal Church, that our liturgy is a form of our evangelism. How are they related? And he also said we need to be clear, too, about how they're not related. Um, So, you know, liturgy can only solve so many problems for us. You know, we also have to get out and actually talk about our faith with people. Um, And so that's that was the crux of organizing around this. Um, And what we've done is we put together what I think is probably the most diverse slate of speakers um, uh, that that any gathering in the Episcopal Church can possibly find right now. Um, I'm very, very, very proud of everyone that has agreed to come and share their wisdom with the group. Um, I will also say that these people are uh, incredibly quick-witted and um, uh, make them a little nervous about what they're going to say when they get up there. It's, they, they all, every single speaker has a history of, uh, of, of, of saying, um, controversial things. So come for the drama as much as anything. <laughs> um, and, um, we're really excited about our workshops. You know, we had, I think this year we had 93 workshop submissions. And so, you know, out of all those, we had to choose, uh, which we, I think we went with like 33 workshops. So we've got, 325 people coming. We've got a great workshop slate. We've got a great plenary speaker slate. We've got great worship planned. Um, and then we've got Bishop Jennifer who's going to close us out. Um, and I, we just couldn't be more excited. I think I rambled through the whole thing. Okay, great. Well done. Inky word cloud. Okay. Oh. <laughs> We're going to keep that in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> I have nothing to add. <laughs> no further questions. <laughs> Final question I want to ask y'all, and I'm just curious about this. Y'all see youth ministry from a different perspective, a bigger perspective. Um, What do y'all see changing in youth ministry in the next decade? Because I think, you know, as as we're consolidating a bunch of, you know, silo effects from the past few years in youth ministry, um, we're now kind of bringing everything together. And I think form is a big part of that. I think youth ministry in general is is becoming more intact. Um, so I'm just curious where y'all see youth ministry heading in the Episcopal Church. Maybe it's just that, or maybe in a bigger sense in the next decade or so. Not just heading. We'll also say like where it should head as well, hmm. because I think that those can be two different directions. <laughs> y'all are teeing up the softest pitch for the heaviest hammer out of Melissa Rao right now. She's dying, dying to answer this question. And I, um, I'm, I am just, I, I kind of know 90% Do you know what of I'm going to say. I, I know what of you're going to say. You and do. I'm excited. I'm excited for the whole world to hear it and respond to it. Um, but first, like you, let's go into the background a little bit. I was a youth and children's minister for about a decade total. And so tell people your background in youth yeah. ministry. So I've done children's youth and young adult ministry for over 20 years. Um, I also did some consulting work with ministry architects, which 
is uh, an organization many of our Episcopal churches know and have used uh, to talk about sustainable youth ministry, especially. Uh, gosh, y'all, I feel like this, one of the really interesting conversations that we just had with Bishop Wright was talking about bifurcation, that we talk about what we know and what we need to do, um, but we haven't figured out how to close the gap between what we're doing and what we're saying. Many of us are saying the right things, but we haven't figured out how to close the gap. And so sometimes we just need to stop what we're doing and reimagine how to move forward. And I would, I'm just going to say it. I think we need to pull the plug on things like Sunday school. I, I think people who are writing new curriculum for the typical Sunday school model are wasting their time um, because kids aren't coming to Sunday school anymore. So we know the problem. And here's the deal, y'all. Sunday school didn't work 30 years ago. Here's why. Many of our millennials and our Gen Xers, the number one reason why they don't want to teach Sunday school is because they themselves don't feel equipped to teach their kids, despite the fact that there's curriculum. So if Sunday school didn't work 30 to 40 years ago when kids went to Sunday school every week, how can we expect it to work now when people are going to church maybe at best once a month? It doesn't make sense. So I'm not saying we need to stop forming our families or figuring out how we're going to come alongside them. But Sunday school is not going to work anymore. It hasn't worked. And maybe it never worked. Just saying. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, so where that then takes us is then, then what then shall we do? Um, Forma offers a really helpful faith at home resource to our members and to the church. Um, we're really excited about a, a specific an, a specific announcement around the Faith at Home material that will happen at the former conference um, that will open it up to a much wider audience. Mm-hmm. That's as much as I can say because we still have to sign a document before we can <laughs> say any more. Um, but um, the, uh, what that, where I'm going with this, though, is that we're going to have to bridge the digital divide. Um, we're going to have to we're going to have to start seeing digital faith formation, not as a crutch, but as the tool, not as permission for not coming to church, but as a way to engage people in their life with Jesus Christ at home. Um, you know, Renewal Works, Jay Sidebotham's amazing program out of Ford Movement, Renewal Works, has the research. They will tell you that the number one indicator for whether or not someone will deepen their faith is what they would call engagement with Scripture, right? Which is a great Episcopal term for read, read the, the Bible. damn Bible, right? <laughs> like, read the Bible, right? So what do we have to do to get people engaged with Scripture is we have to get, we have to put it in their hands at a time when they're ready to to, to, to do it. We're not, we're not a denomination of people who carry their Bible around mm. with them. I wish that we were. Right, I know. Yeah, no, I want to say one more thing after you're done. Okay, um, I was like, I was like, I'm sure Melissa does have a Bible with her, uh, but I, I do not, and and I tell people they should, and I don't carry one. Right, I I say the right thing, but I'm not doing the right thing. So, I mean, do you have it on your phone? Indeed, that's what I'm saying. Is like yeah. what we have to do is put the tools in there, and because people, and especially, I mean, you were talking about this. I mean, we have a Bishop Curry's new. I mean, he's talking about the way of love. He's talking about love, and he's, but one of the things that he's also is mentioning in his remarks um, when he's traveling around and, and on the circuit is that we have a we have a problem with a lack of formation. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to give people the scripture, but it's also important for to give people ways to plug into the scripture that's relevant in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, the, the way forward on that is going to be online. It's going to be through your phones. It's going to be 
um, the way in which we communicate to people. That's why that's why I think like the communications department is probably the future of the formation departments and churches, right? And so we have to. I mean, this is like what Sarah Stonecipher is doing at the Center of the Ministry of Teaching around e-formation is we actually have to bring the communications department and the formation department together mm-hmm. under one roof. They have to be, they have to be united um, because communication staff are discipling people, whether they know it or not. Well, and you asked the question, what might we have to do to change? Um, I think the old model of getting really cool, young, hip people in, in charge of youth ministries, I think was dead 10 years ago. Everybody's been saying it. I think we need to help people live into their baptismal covenant more fully. There's no such thing as aging out of youth ministry. If that were the case, that means we would age out of our baptismal covenant, which is just not a thing, right? Um, I also think it's super important that youth ministers are partnering with children's ministry because if you really care about this, we have to raise up parents. We have to equip them. So youth ministry needs to be more focused on mom and dad when their kids are little so that by the time they hit youth age moms and dads have been formed to be the primary shepherds of their kids faith dorothy linthicum um who is retiring from virginia theological seminary right now and i feel like i've talked about them a lot this work isn't just happening there john lewis seminary southwest is doing great work around older adult formation as well but dorothy is the one who really i mean i spent a lot more time with her and so she's the one who brought this to to my eyes that the the, the lack of work we're doing with older adult ministry in the church, um, the, the people who are over 60 um, is the other frontier in formation. We're ignoring their spiritual health. Um, we're ignoring the spiritual health of people with dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, we're ignoring the spiritual health of, of people who are living. Not everyone. I want to be clear about that because when, when I was going to say people who are living in nursing homes and may not have family that spend a lot of time with them, there are great, wonderful people doing that great deacon's work of visiting the sick and the elderly. Um, but you know, we ne- we're not pushing a formation process around that like we could. Um, and so you asked about youth ministry, and we've now gone all over the place. <laughs> but um, the answer to the future of youth ministry is that it's lifelong, life wide, life deep. It's focused on the baptismal covenant. And it's not just focused on youth. It's formation of all ages. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not in the building of the church. It's at home. Mm-hmm. It's at work. Mm-hmm. It's in your car. It's everywhere. Producer notes, kind of going on what she said about, like, the young, like, hip youth minister aspect of it. I think the... As re- one. <laughs> right, right. As, as maybe. Check out these stats. Category. <laughs> The, the number one thing in youth ministers has to be building relationships. And I'll say that till I'm blue in the face to anyone. Like, if you can't cultivate meaningful relationships with young people and your team of adults. That's even more then, important in my mind. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> maybe your team of adults can cultivate some of those relationships with young people. That That's exactly right. It depends on, like, all the models are different, right? But, like, you've got to be able to develop relationships. When I see people in youth ministry that, like, are shy around youth or... They don't really want to communicate with adults. I'm like, you're in the wrong Amen. field, dude. Right. Like, you're you answered the wrong call. Yeah. Right. And the la- and the other thing is, um, kind of going back to that Sunday morning conversation. Uh, for me, it's about like if you're going to have youth group time, if you're going to have a separate time for it, there's something more mystical about meeting at night, anyways, and like having that evening together, whether it's Wednesday, whether it's Sunday, whatever it is, or wherever y'all meet. It's about taking the secular world 
and talking about Jesus in that because mm-hmm. that's the reality is that's it's secular right. versus Jesus or and like how do we or not versus but how do we bring those where do they meet isn't that what a good preacher does on Sunday morning absolutely <laughs> but I even think it comes down to like I know youth leaders who are like I don't watch any YouTube videos that my kids I don't watch any shows that my kids are watching or the music like wow. you got to talk their language that's exactly right. right I mean and well not only do you have to talk their language you need to be able to help equip your other adult leaders to talk the language. Yeah. Like, it's about equipping. So I left my job in youth ministry uh, at St. Paul's in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia. Um, it was just an amazing church. It's got an amazing rector, and I had a, an amazing youth program. Um, all of the markers that people look for that, I mean, I was getting paid very well and tons of people showing up and active. And I left the job because I literally didn't understand what my kids were talking about anymore. And I didn't care to mm-hmm. learn the language. And I went into my rector's office and was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, 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 you know, because I, I can't go around and. So you, feel, you felt called out of. Well, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is okay. Right, right. No, more than okay. I mean, I went and took a job working for uh, Dean Markham at BTS raising money, and it's made, it's changed my entire life. Sure. Um, you know, God was so in that moment, yeah. but there was, you know, I, I go, I was going around talking to other youth ministers, telling them about what you just said. And then I sat in my youth group one day and was like, it literally sounds like they're speaking a different mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't have the, I mean, in my, and then I went like, I don't really want but to, here's the I thing though. To, so I left. That was the yeah. thing. I was like, I'm going to stop being a youth minister now. But see too many churches hire youth ministers to be the primary relationship builder with right. youth. And that's a mistake. Right. We need men and women who are equipped, experienced, and, and, and skilled at helping other men and women live into their baptismal covenant and build relationships with youth. Because the minute that youth pastor leaves, that youth minister leaves their church, all of those relationships, unless there's they're undergirded with other relationships within the church, all of those relationships go on go on without you know, with them. So yeah. that is a tragedy. And so we have to remember, we got to stop hiring people just because they're cool, young and hip. We need to make sure that they are skilled and gifted in raising up and equipping other adults to do that work. And I think also <clears throat> surrounded, I think one of the, even when, and I, I think Matt can probably attest to that. I think Easton can also attest to this, like also having to be in not just the right place, but I think with the right team. Of yes. Because yeah. I, because I think it's so easy for um, for a youth worker or or really just anybody um, coming in to serve and serve others to roll in and have a priest that they don't vibe with to have a to have a staff that they don't ha- vibe yeah. with to have and I know that parents would never assume that they could be a problem but parents that they don't vibe with for whatever reason um, and I think that making sure that they're that they're with people who who are not only who are going to challenge them in the right ways but i think also like and and then to follow that also push encourage them to have their own spiritual formation ding 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 we got a winner before we go <laughs> I, I want to uh tease out forma's 2020 annual conference mm. um and <laughs> uh just mention that we will be in wonderful atlanta georgia 
Um, we will be home of Georgia Tech. Oh dear gosh. <laughs> So we're going to be actually in Georgia Tech's backyard so that I can throw rocks. Um, And um, we're going to be, we'll be at All Saints Episcopal Church. We will be at the Crown Plaza Hotel adjacent. Um, We're looking forward to this being a really fascinating conference because it will be the former conference. It'll be with Episcopal Church Foundation. It'll be with Forward Movement, Discipleship Matters, Missional Voices, and others. So we're looking at a larger joint conference focused on discipleship and leadership and servant um, servanthood, forgive me. Um, and then again, I want to go back to discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. Um, that is going to be the focus of our time together in 2020. And we're really, I mean, we're really thrilled. I just had this crazy conversation with Bishop Wright um, where uh, I, I think the I think the way that the form of conference for 2020 is going to come together is going to be unlike anything we've ever done before. Y'all, it's going to be important for the church. Right. Entire teams can come and be together. Not necessarily learn the same stuff, but attend the same place so that you can even come closer as a team. So no longer do you have to pick and choose which conference you go to. This will be the conference of conferences. Um, I am so excited about it. If you enjoyed what you heard, uh, you can find us on your podcast app. You can find us on line, on social media. Leave us a review, rate us, let us know if you liked what we said, if you want to have us talk about something else. We're going to close with a prayer. Before you do that, we are also, Forma is thrilled to sponsor this podcast. We think it's very important and vital to the church. I hope everyone listens. I hope you share it with your friends. Even if you're you're not engaged in youth ministry, this is a conversation that's important for the health of your relationship with Jesus. So I hope that everyone listens to this podcast, um, regardless of your vocation. Um, And we're thrilled to be uh, sponsoring this. Thank you. And we're thrilled to have you involved with us and your support. So to close us, Melissa's going to pray. Yay. So I didn't know I was going to be asked to do this. So here we go. (laughs) Gracious God. Gosh, we love you. And uh, we love getting to do this work that, that you have called us into. And we aspire to do it well with all our hearts and all our souls. And God, we just ask that you bless us, we, that you give us the great ideas and the perseverance, the conviction, and, and uh, the tenacity to do your will, especially in helping our young folks within the church grow closer in relationship to one another, and most importantly, to you. Uh, God, uh, thanks so much for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.